1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their
3: story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Matt. On today's show, things aren't going to plan. At the launch of BBC Studios, there's another departure, this time Mark Freeland. With so many senior execs heading for the lifeboats, can anybody steady the ship? Channel 4's comms chief Dan Brooks speaks to me about winning over the public in the fight to resist privatisation. Plus, where was Hillsborough on the front of the Times? Will Bake Off leave the Beeb? And a media quiz of pageantry. That's coming up on today's media podcast. And joining me this Friday at the Hospital Club is the Entertainment Director of Heat Magazine, Boyd Hilton. Good afternoon. Hello, that's a promotion since you were last on the show. Yeah, it's big, big
4: now, yeah. It only took me 17 years. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you now oversee that you didn't it's
4: before? It's the same. It's just, I think when you've been there 17 years, they probably think you have to get a more grand title. And if you're not a director now in magazines,
2: then you're no one. So you're looking at CEO in 17 years' time. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah.
4: Uh, this week's all about Line of Duty, I guess, for you. Absolutely, I think *Line of Duty* is probably one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Wow, that's yeah, I, have I got carried away. No, really? I, big I'm serious. Big thing in years to come, it'll be up. Uh, I'm up it's up there with *Breaking Bad*. Sopranos, I'm deadly serious. She's I mean, that good. The what? whole thing is, it's three series so far, the fourth one on the way.
2: Well, I'm, yeah. I'm loving starting I've already the show with being provocative. provocative. It's very good. And joining you, Boyd Hilton, to sum the lady who is known as the editor in chief of Vice UK. Uh, although, to long time listeners of this show who remember us from our Guardian days, uh, she will always be known for her TV lair. Uh, it's Rebecca Nicholson. Hello, Rebecca. Hello,
3: it feels strange to be out of the TV there.
2: Yes, how is life post Guardian?
3: It's, it's great, yeah. It's good. I work with a lot of young people now.
2: Is, is Vice exactly what everyone imagines it to be? Lots of cool hair.
3: Lots of cool hair, lots of uh, streetwear sweatshirts and enthusiasm.
2: And would, would the Vice morning meeting, that probably doesn't happen, does it? You're probably we, all on we phones. We actually
3: do have a do morning you? meeting. Yeah, we have a morning meeting what? that starts at 10.30, but that's about as early as I could get it, so... Uh, yeah but we have one now wow is yeah. a,
2: it's a real thing it's not just happening on Dropbox or
3: something <laughs> on Snapchat
2: and would, would, would the Vice morning meeting would they agree that Line of Duty is the best TV show of recent years I
3: have to say I've been trying to get everyone to talk about it at work because I've been watching it mm. and I'm the only one that's watching it sadly they're like what's yeah. TV grandma yeah uh, well.
0: what they, I
2: don't
4: know what, they watch at Vi- what do they watch at Vice then
3: um, they're like people just do nothing oh yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. that's big is uh, yeah. everyone? Yeah. everyone at the moment, just in my office, is watching The Island with Bear Grylls, which surprised me. I that is think... a cracker of a show. Yeah, I don't think that would be the sort yeah. of thing yeah. that Fair they enough. like, but they do. Yeah.
2: I was disappointed that Patrick wasn't more hurt. I don't mean for his own personal yeah. safety. I just mean when I saw that fall, I was like, that's going to be a great episode, watching him <laughs> in rehab. There was you nothing. want someone to die, don't you? No, I want someone to very nearly die. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to start this week's media news with telly. Uh, on Friday, the BBC finally spun out its in-house production arm, responsible for his... such as Strictly Come Dancing, into its own company. The launch of BBC Studios was meant to illustrate a modern, commercially agile corporation seeking to settle a charter renewal on the front foot. Uh, That's not exactly what's happened. Peter Salmon shocked everyone by leaving his role as head of the new company in the run-up to launch. And now Mark Freeland has quit as well, Boyd. He was the controller Mm. of fiction and entertainment. Yeah. Um, A respected name, responsible for many comedy hits. What happened? I don't know. It's odd.
4: I really like Mark. Yeah, I've met him quite a few times, um, and he's great. He's fun. You know, he's one of those TV executives that's funny, and I think he had good taste, and he, and he was involved in a lot of good stuff.
2: Give us a bit of his resume.
4: What did he oh, do? Now, well, he recently he did that um, Stag mm-hmm. uh, on BBC Two. Um, Little Britain he was heavily involved with right from the start. I mean, most major comedies the BBC's done, he's had some kind of involvement in recent years. I think it's probably not too much of an exaggeration to say. But following on, because Polly Hill left, who's done a brilliant job with drama she was kind of like, you know, took over as head of drama when Ben Stevenson left for LA. And if you're, what you're looking at now, we mentioned Line of Duty, but, you know, the recent incredible run, I think, of BBC drama, including The Night Manager and War and Peace and dark, and you know kind of the A word which has just Valley. finished Happy Valley it has been Thank incredible hasn't it's it? been incredible and she is uh, quite a large point responsible for that along with Ben Stevenson she's left so it is weird I, want, I just wonder whether. I don't know if this is, this is just my own theory though it used to be in the position of pretty much of being all powerful they could just commission what they wanted you know albeit talking to I guess heads of channels and stuff but now they have to, they're have they in this weird situation where BBC Studios is going to compete with all the other indies to get slots on the BBC and ITV Studios, and they're going to have to try and get stuff made for other channels. And, and indies are now guaranteed 40% of BBC right. content. So, And in Mark Freeland's goodbye letter, he's basically what he said was, it's, it's a less creative role.
2: Yeah, he said some of the proposed changes he is making, talking about Mark Lindsay, the uh, new head of BBC Studios, uh, will not give me the creative platform I need to be at my very best, and add maximum value to the studio's project yeah, he seems to be saying basically he's not going to have enough involvement yeah. creatively
4: and yeah. I, I just think you know, a lot of people had a go at it. A lot of people were, were, did not like the structure of the BBC they had until very recently, where Ben Stevenson, effectively, and Polly, could commission all these dramas, and, had, and the power was very centralised. Um, you know, it's kind of similar in comedy. Um, Shane uh, is in charge of comedy. What's Shane's second? I've forgotten. that Shane Allen, thank you. Thank you, I love Shane. He's great. But I wonder now, this, this change in structure these great people, these creative people who've I been mean, responsible for a lot of really good stuff, seem to think it's less creative. So I do worry about it. I don't know, to me, when, you, when, a, when an organisation like the BBC is producing so much good content, good stuff, good programmes, as it has done, it right, is doing right now, why change it? But I guess this decision was made ages ago and it's too late.
2: But I mean, some people would argue, and indeed if you look into the TV nerd message boards about this, many people are arguing, that actually if you cull out executives that are getting 200 grand plus for pontificating about what should be in the schedules, actually it might become lean and more creative.
3: Well, it's a possibility, but as uh, Boyd was saying, the recent run of dramas in particular has just been so good and so outstanding, and it does make me slightly nervous that the people responsible for that are no longer there. I don't know what's going to happen. What's left? Which departments now have someone in charge of them?
4: Well, I think it's, co- it's confusing, because I think the BBC, in terms of making shows for itself, still has. Right. Shane, so Shane, we're talking about, is still there, as head of comedy, and it's but it's this... People who are working in the production area and were commissioning stuff, they now have to. That has changed. So I still think that, you know, I don't know who's taking over to have drama for Apollo. I don't know if that's been decided yet. But that's still, that's still a role, I think. I'm pretty sure. It's just that this new thing of BBC Studios is, is separated out. Because drama is absolutely, it's been its best for years. Comedy, maybe not so. I mean, comedy, which is Mark's area, Mark Friedan's area, I do think the BBC, for me, hasn't commissioned enough new comedy particularly BBC One I mean it's quite rare to get a new sitcom on BBC it's kind of like every couple of months maybe I'm, mean, you know it's, maybe that's an exaggeration so, so I'm slightly so perhaps that's the thing that will be addressed by
2: us. I don't know if it will be whilst we're on that have you been watching Two Doors Down quite yeah, like that good. it's good it's quite good, good isn't yeah. it I haven't
3: been watching
4: it it's, it's, a,
2: it's a bit like Royal Family but ten years later in Scotland but yeah. very watchable and
4: the weird thing about that it's a good thing I met um, Arabella Weir earlier this week mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. in it and um, it's got Duma Kickens. It's good. It's on tonight. It's on BBC Two, 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Why is it not on BBC One? It's a very mainstream yeah, to it me. It is a very BBC One show. You know, show, kind it, of yeah. low concept show about neighbours in Scotland. It should be on BBC One, but it's kind of like screwed away 10 o'clock Friday BBC Two. How big is the audience going to be? So, yeah, I think that's, that's an example of a show for me that could have been on BBC One. Um, the Kennedys, which is Emma Kennedy's show. I'm a friend of Emma's. That was, very, that was very that It watchable. was good. It was really yeah. good. But you mainstream. see, that had the reverse
2: problem, right? That was Friday night. Big marketing yeah, spend. They overdid but it.
4: But it's still got, like, I think, three and a half. 4 million, that wasn't wasn't consistent enough. But, you know, again, the expectations of BBC comedy is uh, is simultaneously too high, and sometimes they're too scared and, you know, lots of some BBC, I don't know. So, I I still think there's room in BBC comedy for it to be better, and maybe this structural thing that's happening will help.
2: Yeah, adding pressure to the BBC at the moment as well is Love Productions, who are in the process of renegotiating their fee to make the great British Bake Off. Now, Rebecca, this would be a travesty, wouldn't it, British Bake Off left the uh, corporation which fostered this mega hit from the most unpromising of ingredients.
3: I think it would be a shame for those reasons that, you know, the BBC obviously cultivated it from BBC 2 through to BBC 1. And it's such a lovely, unlikely thing to be massive. And it's so BBC. I can't think of any show that's more BBC than the Great British Bake Off. Well, I possibly
2: the Great British Sewing Bee or whatever it's called. That they you, but I with. think
3: baking is... More BBC, more BBC than BBC. sewing. We could, Mary Berry yeah, is more BBC. I think she yeah. is, yeah. Mm. I can't, it's, it just seems to me to be the ultimate BBC show, and I can't picture it anywhere else. I can't picture it on Sky, I can't picture it on ITV. Even if it's the same show, I can't, I can't get my head around that. I don't well, know if you can, Boyd. No,
4: I agree. And I think I, what I really worry about this story is that... I worry, A, that there's people at the BBC who think, even though even though it's, it's, it's BBC's biggest show now, so it's, much, it's bigger than strictly... It's the biggest show on TV. Which is Rating ridiculous. Is it is incredible. It's objectively ridiculous. Rating's higher than Britain's Got Talent and all those shows. It's <clears throat> astonishing. I worry that some doofus at the BBC, the same kind of doofuses who said, let's get rid of BBC Three and put it online only... Um, are going to go, oh, this is going to be a big statement. We'll let it go. Yeah, we'll, we can't, we'll say we can't afford it because of all the government cuts, effective government <laughs> cuts. And I'm like, no. And, and I can see that being done as a political gesture by some idiot of the BBC who thinks this is the way they should be doing, rather than fighting these cuts and not going along with them and doing everything they can to preserve all the great stuff on the BBC. Because because, right, it won't be the same on another channel. And purely, it's bound to go to a channel that has adverts for a start. And that will, that will change the whole rhythm mm. of it. And th- at the moment, every element of Bake Off is perfect. You know, Mel and Sue, the judges who Mary Berry, Paul, everything about it is absolutely right. And it hasn't really you know since it's, it's become got million viewers or whatever it gets it hasn't really changed really people accuse it of changing it, but it hasn't really. really it's still the same show it was when it was on BBC2 8
2: o'clock with about 3 million viewers. even to the extent I find where they have that slightly odd insert 45 minutes yeah, in about how, exactly. to a, how to make a a waffle cream. That, yeah. Yeah. Wait,
3: does that still tradition? exist or has it that does, been, has been taken out it, it's still, still there, there. It's yeah. Still yeah. In, yeah. let's go
2: to Belgium yeah. and meet some not in the later episodes but in the earlier ones yeah. Yeah. they, they still have, have that that's very I mean that basically doesn't work and yet that's still there no I know even that ingredient yeah but some of them are great some of them are terrible yeah uh, okay, but Sky win either way, don't they? Because they own seventy percent or something of Love Productions. Yeah. Um, but do you think ITV or Channel Four would be interested in? in of course they would, just the because, because it's on TV. Yeah, but but they'd be mad not to be interested. Yeah, everyone's interested. Everyone's desperate for it. If you do, who wouldn't uh, be interested? Who wouldn't? MTV. <laughs> uh Aben TV, maybe, oh, yeah.
3: Oh, uh, Viceland. We're getting a TV channel in yeah, September, yeah, so oh, yeah. it's probably not... I mean, probably we not could put in thing. a bid for it, but it's probably not Uh-oh, our thing. I can thing. see,
4: like, a hipster version of Yeah, Bakel. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Hashcakes. <laughs> Hashcakes. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's interested. You know the weird thing about Love Productions is they make Bake Off, and they make a lot of those um, like shows about benefits for Channel 4 yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, indeed, talking about <laughs> Channel 4... Uh, They have been in the headlines this week because of, again, the privatisation of Channel 4 being an issue raised at the House of Lords. Uh, John Whittingdale was giving evidence to their communications committee, uh, and the Culture Secretary said that private investment would improve the public service output of the channel, and that mutualisation would not address those problems. This is not about, he said, raising money for the government. This is about trying to find a model to sustain Channel 4. Well, what does the broadcaster think about this latest statement from the government minister?
1: Well, earlier I sat down with a Channel 4 board member, Dan Brook, to find out. All I know, I mean, I've spent half of my life working for large American global companies. And Um, you were at Discovery, weren't you, before? I was at Discovery and I was at Paramount. And all I can say is that if you're a profit-maximising company, you know, there's a whole load of things that you do that are different from what Channel 4 as a non-profit organisation currently does. first thing is you make a profit. So at the moment, all of our revenue, you know, generated from the market, no cost to the taxpayer gets pumped straight back into programs, largely British programs from British producers, what would an appropriate margin be? ITV's margin is 28%. We know that because it's published. That's 280 million pounds worth of revenue coming out and going as profit which at the moment is spent on all of our activities so that's the first thing that would have to change the second thing I think that would change is Channel 4 has a fantastically interesting model whereby it's sort of a mixed economy, it's a hybrid so there's a whole lot of things that we do that make money and they subsidise things that don't make money so Channel 4 News, Current Affairs, British Film, the Paralympic Games, a lot of the things that we do with new talent, these things lose money. The American companies that I've worked for, not to say that necessarily a privatised Channel 4 will be owned by an American company, but they'd be on the list, you know, they sit down with great regularity and say, what are the activities we're doing that aren't, as profitable as they should be and i mean anything that's actually losing money you either get rid of it immediately or you say how do we do it radically differently in order that it can make money so let me just let me just finish there's a third there's a third thing which i think will be important to your what i imagine is a large number of your listeners which is that if i was still working in discovery or paramount i'd be saying the one the first thing that i want is in-house production All of this stuff about having to go out to indies uh, and terms of trade, I'm not interested in all of that. I want in-house production, that's what I'd be saying to the government, and the cheque that I'd be prepared to write would be attached to that thinking. And that's going to have a radical impact on the number of indies that Channel 4 works with and the types of indies that Channel 4 works with, but also the types of programmes that we're going to commission. I mean, to put it in a nutshell, ITV and Channel Four, which Channel 5, sorry, which are effectively privatised companies... They work with, the the, the indies that they work with added together is less than the indies that Channel 4 works with. Uh,
2: It's interesting because, therefore, you seem to be saying, even if there's a version of privatisation where somehow the government was able to say, look, we need to safeguard Channel 4 News and dispatches or whatever, that actually you'd still end up affecting the industry by cutting out so many indies.
1: Well, but also I think the the programme, you can keep the words of a remit on the page and you can say you must produce X number of hours... But how that gets translated, as we all know through the process of creativity, what then ends up on the screen is radically different. I mean, you just have to look at the difference between Channel 4 News and the news that is produced by uh, all other commercial broadcasters. It's very, very different. Um, Those things would change they just would.
2: Let's talk about mutualisation then. Is that still Channel 4's preferred option? And if it is, explain briefly what it actually is.
1: Well, yeah, it is worth worth explaining a little bit the history of that. I mean, there had been some talk after the election uh, in the ether that the government was interested in the idea of Channel 4 no longer being on the, if you like, the nation's books anymore. They wanted their billion pounds back, basically. Yeah, and our, but our, our plan was very much developed by Terry Burns, the former chairman, and his thought was this. Look, if, you do, if for whatever reason you don't want Channel 4 on the government's books... There's a way of privatising it where you retain the non-profit status, which in his view, and I think also you know, our view, is the non-profit status that allows Channel 4 to, to, do, to pursue this kind of Robin Hood model of doing loss-making public service things that are paid for by commercial things. So there are models. I mean, there are plenty of organisations that exist in the world of, which have a kind of social enterprise type of model where they're pursuing, if you like, greater good things in the world to do with social ends or cultural ends. That are, that are funded commercially but are non-profit and I think all he was saying is look, if you want to take it off the government books you can privatise it but in a way that, that retains those characteristics rather than make it a full for-profit company.
2: Now, your job, uh, and you've got many jobs at Channel 4, but part of being communications officer and chief marketing officer is uh, that you're trying to communicate with the public. We've all seen those ads in the papers, born Risky and all of that, trying to communicate with the public those values you were talking about before, innovation, risk. You're also regular listeners to this show. I know you've heard people here on this show say, why did Channel 4 commission TFI Friday rather than a new show with new young talent showcasing music? You know, why, when you think of Channel 4 allegedly being risky, the last leg. Is it actually all about pushing Josh Widdicombe, who's established talent? Where are the show... Who have you broken in the last five years who's new talent?
1: Oh, my God. Well, that's an easy question to ask. We only have to look at Michaela Cole, you know, who's recently just won a BAFTA talking about how, you know, she had this lovely quote where she said, Channel 4 had faith in me, more faith in me than I had in myself, and yet, you know, they helped me make my programme Chewing Gum. You know, Steve McQueen is a fantastic example. I mean, Steve McQueen was a contemporary artist making art videos. I mean, I used to go and see the things that he did in leaky churches in Hoxton. He said, I want to get into feature films. Channel 4 said, OK, well, we'll go on that journey with you helped him with his first three films, the third of which turned out to win Best Picture Oscar, the first time that's been won by a film made by a black director. You know, maybe these things would have occurred in the pure commercial sector. My own experience is I don't think they do. That balance is difficult, isn't it? You know, is there too much Kirsty and Phil, not enough Steve McQueen? Well, it, Channel 4's always been a balance like that. And, I, you know, I, I understand that the balance probably is, is never to everybody's full satisfaction. But you have to take account of the fact that Channel 4 is this innovative hybrid. You know, we have a whole load of public service obligations like the BBC... But unlike ITV and Channel 5 and Sky, etc., but we don't, unlike the BBC, receive any taxpayers' money. We have to go out every single day and earn our keep. And that means you have to be relevant. And that leads to this, as I say, this mixed economy of both come dine with me, but even in come dine with me, you know, no one, okay, so is come dine with me a fantastically public service program? Well, I don't think anyone could mount a case to say it is. But do we put more effort that might otherwise be put into making sure that the casting of that show is as diverse as possible? possible yes definitely we do and it pays for an enormous number of episodes of channel 4 news and dispatches and unreported world etc
2: and uh, the other criticism we hear of channel 4 on this show is related to meddling if i was going to choose a word uh, and actually i know this year in the broadcast indie survey you actually came out on top top, top broadcaster that indies like to work with but also the second worst broadcaster that Indies like to work with. Well, so obviously there's still some people to persuade. Do you accept that in the past, perhaps in the recent past, there's been a bit too much of commissioners at Channel Four getting too involved? In uh, look, making?
1: what I think, what I think broadly about this is that we do commission all of our programmes from the indie sector. We always have done. We're the only one that's required to do that, and that is a fantastic stimulus to the industry. It's inevitable that, and, and, and this has been, I think, the history of relationships between Channel 4 and different indies over time. You know, there's a, that sometimes we're the best thing since sliced bread, and sometimes people are harsh critics. It has always been that way to my eye. You know, there's, there's an element of that today. The fact that we're coming top in the survey suggests that we're not doing all wrong. Dan Brook there, speaking to the media podcast earlier
2: today. Uh, Boyd, how likely yeah. do you think is the privatisation of Channel 4?
4: Oh, well, if, if John Whittendale is, is out and out saying that's his preference or indicating, then presumably it's quite likely because he's in charge of making that decision. But for now. For now, yeah, exactly. Yeah, still, still he in goes charge. to his I mean, the other one, Yeah, when is he, yeah. he, he going to go? Um, I think it's ridiculous. What Again, I'll go back to my BBC argument. If You know, Channel 4's doing well now. It's, I think there was a period maybe three or four years ago I think when creatively it was was kind of in the doldrums there wasn't he was doing a lot of lifestyle property shows and you know shows about embarrassing bodies and all those and not so much whereas scripted stuff now drama's doing pretty well I think you know it's, it's had some really good stuff recently and suddenly we're talking about changing it privatising it well, I don't, I just, why What is? And I, and I listened to what John Whittingdale said at the at that thing none of it made any sense to me because someone's just got to go it's doing perfectly well, well why answer, do you want to change that model you, you what's should, it going to achieve a billion pounds for the government yeah, That's well, the answer, just, so it? he's lying well, yes, he's, well, can we accuse him of lying he's, he's, <laughs> he's suggesting it's another reason <laughs> I'm suggesting
3: he's but he's saying it's good for you. We, we want to do this because it's good for Channel 4. Yeah. That seems to be his sole In Yeah, you know, more, but it, he's completely unconvincing because yeah, it's, it's, it's doing just well. It's good for you.
4: And it, and it is, and, it, and, and being public, and its public service commitment is key because Flowers, let's just take that example, is not a big mainstream show. It's quite an odd, surreal, weird thing. They're showing it stripped across the week. And it's great. Or it's, it's, at least it's interesting. And I just don't think that's going to be made by a, a public service, by a broadcaster that doesn't have such a public service remit
2: and is owned privately. Has to make huge profits and this, that, and the other. This is the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. And if you've just joined us, well, then there's something wrong with your podcast player, isn't there? Obviously, because that's the point of this show. You don't need a mid show recap because we're not a linear radio program. We are just for you, the media, in your ears. When you want us. We don't have to cut interviews short for traffic and travel. We don't delete after 30 days. That's why there are now fifty glorious episodes of this program available in our back catalogue. If you value that, if you value what we do and you'd like to keep us going, then show us you care. Go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate and take out a voluntary monthly subscription. That's themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Thank you. And now, it's in the radio style. Back to the show. Some of the other stories of the week now, and this week, Fleet Street splashed the Hillsborough verdict across every front page except The Sun and the first edition of The Times. Uh, now, you could argue The Sun was never going to be able to overturn the strong feelings surrounding its involvement in the Hillsborough story. Uh, but why its stablemate, The Times, initially chose to do the same is more of a mystery, isn't it? Uh, they've apologised, but the damage has been done, hasn't it?
3: Well, have they apologised? I mean, unless I've missed an apology, it the, seems like the the they've Times acknowledged they've an error. The Times said they fixed the error, yes. Yeah, but yeah. I thought the absence of an apology was quite notable. It, they just said, we made a mistake and now we've corrected it. it they didn't say sorry which might have felt more apt, given the strength of feeling.
2: And were you following that strength of feeling on social media? Yes, I
3: was. It was a strong strength of feeling. It was.
2: <laughs> uh, which, is, which is what, I suppose, you know, two decades' worth of anger does. 27 years, yeah. yeah. I mean... I I, I was incredulous
4: I have to say I think I think the sun I th- which is they're either going to go they're either going to go one way or the other or they're either going to go hell for leather and go we're sorry again I mean they said sorry they did say sorry was it four years ago it when it was 2012 yeah. 2012 when the um it became clear that they no, could not sustain that there was any factual evidence just for them blaming fans for anything that happened in the hospital. So they, kind of, they apologised there on the front page. Fine. But I think they should have done the same thing again. Um, because it's just people who didn't know that they did that. And, you know, to, to a naive reader of The Sun now... They would just have no idea that, that they took that that they did that, and they should have done it again. I think, but so they went the other way, completely ignored it, pretty much. I mean, they had some, they had a, they had a little editorial, didn't they? And they kind yeah, of, but not on the front page. Not on the front page. Nothing. No. So that was page. that was idiotic. I do think that was idiotic. By the sun, I should have had it on the front page, but for the times. You're right. I was incredulous. They didn't, and I tweeted about it like everyone else did. People, someone. Someone said the thing about virtue signalling, this, this phrase virtue signalling, that if you complain about something you find infuri- infuriates you, from a kind of moral standpoint, you, you, you're therefore virtue signalling. But to me, it's like, no, you're pointing out something that is unbelievably stupid, crass, and, I mean, I don't use the word offensive, but to me, the people that I, feel, I mean, I think, A, it makes The Times look like a, a Murdoch <laughs> That it's all driven by Murdoch, you know, and they're just supporting The Sun, and they're too embarrassed to
2: mention Hillsborough because of the history with The Sun. Um, Which I, actually no one was accusing The Times of doing somewhere. until this week. And, well, oh, no, yeah, yeah, no, right. No one was, credible week, was really saying, no. oh, well, they'd avoid a big story like but that. But I
4: think the real. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, now anyone, you know, everyone who. I mean, which is most people now that, that, that are incredibly affected by us, but particularly obviously the families or the relatives, much just think, oh you're never going to buy the Times again I'm not sure if many of them ever did probably m- most of them don't like having anything to do with anything connected to Murdoch because of the sun, but if you, as, you know, as this is a media podcast, if I worked for the Times, I feel sorry for people who work for the Times, because I think it's humiliating, embarrassing, to, you know, for them not to put it there. There's great, you know, people like Caitlin Moran and, you know, all their great columnists, David Aronovich and all these people. Henry Winter moved a great amount of money, best football writer around, to, from the Telegraph to the Times. Must have been so, he, he wrote a brilliant piece about it, but in that issue, not mentioned on the front page in that first edition. It was just me absolutely excruciatingly embarrassing to have taken that decision. And they couldn't, they couldn't grow right back from it. You know, they, they fixed it, but they didn't. I mean, they did put it on the front page in the second edi- edition. But a lot of people get the first edition. And, and just, why did they not do it? Liverpool got
2: the first edition. Right. Particularly, sort
4: of, uh, uh, what were they thinking? Uh, just, I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm reeling from the whole thing. Well, the
2: former night editor of the Times, Liz Gerard, attempted to write a blog explaining what they were thinking. And, and she says it was more cock-up than conspiracy doesn't she in her very exhausted piece someone somewhere must have taken the decision that they did not
4: want it on the front page I mean that, that not cock up to the extent that they didn't go accidentally leave it off they mm. definitely took the decision so whoever it was that took that decision it was moronic and idiotic and, and offensive and embarrassing it sounds as
3: if the sports desk were vocal about
2: it they were yeah and that seems yeah. to be initially why they changed their mind yeah is particularly Tony what's his name who's based in Liverpool the sports writer for yeah, the Times yeah. uh, who tweeted he did tweet
3: an apology didn't he well he,
2: he first tweeted just the word I think it was just the word unbelievable yeah, yeah. Uh, and people interpreted fairly quickly what yeah. it was he was referring yeah. to it's is extraordinary isn't it it's it just is. it's baffling. it's bewildering
4: and, but, and I saw other Times journalists tweeting about it saying you know they, they, they couldn't believe it and the next day but I think it's a long. I think it's a really damaging thing. You know, I think apparently in that article in *Pascal* it's a John Beatham said, "Forget it and move on." I just think it's really. You know, I just think it makes the whole paper seem less. It just feels it feels less of any kind of authority, or you know, just for a newspaper like that to not have that on the front page. It's just. It's really toxic for the Times,
2: isn't it? They're supposed to be a paper of record. It absolutely, I mean, of all yeah. Murdoch's brands, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's almost worse than Sky exactly. News.
4: And they've got great—I say back—you know—they've got great journalists working on it. And people and their whole model now, because I so unlike like the Guardian, where everything's free and it's all, all on the internet, and you, and you don't have to buy the paper. You don't have to spend any money on any Guardian content to get to read their great columnists. You do have to pay money. And I think—I mean—I feel like this myself actually. That partly, I mean, I, I get we get copy in the office, so it's fine. But if I—I I would actually invest in that and like to read their great columnists, like Hank Moran and these people, as I say, I feel now I probably wouldn't I just feel like the whole thing is tarnished to me I, 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 maybe that's I'm I maybe I'm virtue signaling maybe I'm getting carried away but I do think the whole
2: thing is tarnished to me it's just I I, I cannot whilst, believe that whilst funny. we're getting carried away with no <laughs> legal basis whatsoever let's just briefly talk about the conspiracy the conspiracy is Rupert Murdoch's been spending a lot of time in London recently uh, because of his uh, happy nuptials and he was in the office that day I've heard that. Yeah, it seems like a weird coincidence. Is it credible you know? to you that Murdoch yeah. personally would be dictating the front oh, of the Times?
4: Yeah, totally credible to me. And, and people, there's an outright denial, isn't it, in that Press Gazette? There someone told the, the, the whoever wrote that piece, the great piece, that it wasn't him. But. The other thing is, you never know—is it, you know, Murdoch explicitly going, telling them not to put it on the front page, or is it the editor assuming that he wouldn't want it to be on the well, front that's page?
2: It, which sounds much but, more credible. That does to me. sound <laughs> more. He,
4: and even then, that, that's even worse, isn't it? Like cowardice. Where's the power it's of like, oh, fear, isn't it? It's but ca- just utter cowardice, you know, because Henry Winter's writing this really moving piece where he does talk about the terrible things the Sun did and what an absolutely awful effect they have for twenty-seven years, and meanwhile his editors not putting any reference to it at all on the front page—it just undermines the whole. all all these people that are doing really good stuff
2: Okay, on to radio now there's a new arts commissioner at Radio 4 uh, and it's the author of the series of novels, Grant Chester James Runcie, Uh, he's going to be responsible for selecting all arts programmes at the broadcaster from in-house teams and indies as well Uh, interesting choice Rebecca, an author?
3: I haven't, uh, yes, that is an interesting choice. I haven't seen Grantchester, but I I know lots of people speaking of shows that people in the Vice office like. I know a couple of people at Vice who watch Grantchester, which seems completely incongruous (laughs) to me. I haven't seen Grantchester, but anyway. It's very uh, Sunday tea time. Yeah. Let an author do it. Why not?
2: Well, I suppose because people look at the industry, and they say, you know, if you're going to be a commissioner, you need experience. You need to understand how things work. Is that true, Boyd? Or actually, no, can you oh, just instinctively you say, go, "I like this"?
4: Them. No, I think it's good. I think it's really good that, that a creative person who actually writes stuff um, is is in charge of commissioning stuff that has to be written. <laughs> That's the most important thing. That's you know, very
3: logical. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
4: um, you know that. Yeah, absolutely. Have more people. Just, I, I mean, I don't imagine there were that many writers who'd agree to do that kind of role because they're mm. probably thinking, "I'd write
2: you know." I'd rather just sit here writing my Granchester books. Yeah, too political, too many people right, to upset. Yeah, no, Authors all like sort of slapping each other on the back down there and then bitching about each other behind each other's other. For backs, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely,
4: yeah. yeah. Um, I do, I mean, I, actually, I do go on Radio 4 Front Row. Is he still in charge of that then? Is he going to be in charge of Front Row? Yeah, that would count as Arts that point, Oh, in that yeah. case so what, what you mean is this is an excellent appointment. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, Full uh, disclosure, I, I love him. He's brilliant. He should keep me as a semi regular guest <laughs> on Front <front-right>. Row. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, and back to The Sun again. They are set to face trial in the civil courts after a High Court judge decided to give the go-ahead to four phone-hacking claimants to amend their claims for damages to include The Sun uh, as well as the News of the World. According to Press Gazette, two of those trials are scheduled for July. Uh, Anyone care to put a date on when we might actually be able to move on from phone-hacking? Never, yeah. I do get the feeling, though, slightly, that people
4: don't really care much about it anymore. You know, that... Um, well, unless you've had your phone hacked. Well, course. yeah, if you've if you had your phone hacked. I mean, the, the public people... have
2: been worn down, haven't they? There's yeah, no scandal. that's what I mean. Yeah. That's
4: what I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, it's kind of touches... I know it's a different thing, but it touches on the whole Leveson 2 thing, which, which is what people are furious about. John Whittingdale saying he didn't want to kind of carry on doing, go ahead with Leveson 2, which is supposed to be investigating the role with the police and the press. But, of course, Hillsborough is a key, absolutely the key and the most awful example of a terrible um, relationship between the police and the media. I, I care more about Leveson 2, particularly because of the hills element of it, than I do the... The hacking thing, because I am worn down. I, th- I mean, it was it was a, it was a massive scandal, of course. But and I'm sure, and these people should have their day in court. Absolutely, you know, I'm not saying that, but I do think probably the public would think, "Oh my God, it's still going on. There's still court cases about it."
2: I think, and making absolutely no allegations about their guilt or otherwise. I think the public might be surprised that the Sun haven't. Face any trouble yeah, yet? I are. mean, with the news of the world and the mirror, one would sort of assume that the sun would be at it as I well. I think
3: I'm actually guilty of that as well. I did kind of assume that it had all been wrapped up. So when I saw that story, I was yeah, I'm as guilty as the public. I'm surprised. I was surprised.
4: I do think there's a lot of the public sort do do assume things about hacking that didn't actually happen. I, I do see people on Twitter going to some journalist. You know, you hacked. Um, a dead girl's phone and things like yeah. that, and you think, well, no, it was the News of the World, you know. Now different, but I think they, there's a tendency to. Look and
2: for, there was some controversy about whether that really happened. Well, of all. course, yeah. yeah. But
4: the, the, you know, people do. There's a huge. I think it's. I think for a lot of people in the public, there's like all those tabloids were hacking phones, which may or may not have been true to some extent. But they kind of lump it all in together, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think people sort of imagine a Stasi-like <laughs> scenario where people were yes. literally listening in wiretap, whereas actually what they were doing was just guessing people's code for their voicemail was 0000 because zero, 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 no-one bloody changes it. Yeah, well, It's not but, that cloak and dagger, is it, really? But
3: not to trivialise it, because it did no. obviously ruin people's lives. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. even oh, completely, celebrities yeah. who we're supposed to have no sympathy for were living... It's one of the few things that made me feel incredibly sorry for celebrities because it did just wreck their lives. Mm.
2: In other lawsuits, uh, <laughs> have you seen this one about Mark Thompson in the New York oh, Times? Oh, yeah. yes. That is fascinating. Uh, the Guardian reporting that the NYT preferentially favours its ideal staffer, young, white, unencumbered with a family, at the expense of older female and black employees. Uh, that is according to some older female black employees yep. who are no longer part of the yeah. New York Times.
4: The most incredible thing about story is a reminder that he is still in charge of the New York Times I mean
2: I was a, I, I, I found it unbelievable to the
4: start that this fra- I thought not great head of the BBC ended up in charge of the New York Times why Were they, can they not fight someone I mean, I'm nothing against him personally I only met him a couple of times yeah, maybe he's done a great job otherwise he's no States.
2: longer responsible for your contract on
4: front row definitely not exactly, I can say <laughs> what I like and I'm not going to get, sadly I love a job in the New York Times but I don't think it's going to happen now um, but I've, I couldn't believe it when he got that job I was like, and he's paid, you see what his pay is? I think it's like 6 million dollars or something is revealed in that Guardian piece as well I'm like hold on, this guy who a lot of people think did a bad job not just me at the BBC, I'm not, you know, I don't know it's, how can you tell, but there were controversies surrounding it with the BBC, put it that way. Contro- I'm running the New York Times, $6 million a year, and now this has come along. I have no idea whether there's a truth in it or not, but the whole thing is extraordinary.
2: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: Before we go, there is just time for our media quiz. Yeah. This week, it's entitled pageantry. Oh, it's tough being a print newspaper editor with all those advertisers, corporate overlords and impending financial doom to consider. But can you guess which page certain editors chose to put these arguably front-page stories? That's this week's quiz. So I'm going to give you a story you need to tell me on which page it first appeared in the paper. Uh, Buzzing with your name, Boyd, you will say... Boyd, very good. <laughs> Rebecca, you will say.
3: I'll say Rebecca, but I've got three syllables, and Boyd's only got well, one. i can you be Becca?
4: Cl- you, I call you Becca anyway. You, is that if you never want to be called Becca? No, no,
3: people oh, okay. do call me. Yeah. I could, Fine. yeah. Go oh, Becca. I, I think that's still fair. Still an extra syllables. That's
2: good. Bex. <laughs> do you ever do the thing of, like, I'm Rebecca in print, but I'm Becca in person. Do you ever try that? Because I tried, I'm Ollie in person, but I'm Oliver in print, and then I realized it just made me look like a prick. didn't happen. Yeah. But
3: I think that just happens naturally. People call me Becca in person, yeah. and then, but I've never been Becca in print, so... Yeah.
2: Do you find it weird on the BBC when they call him Andy Marr? Yes. Or is it when Emily Makeley goes, thanks, Andy? It's yeah, like, that's yeah. fucking Andrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, <laughs> Let's play the game. The winner will receive a vintage edition of the Waddington's board game, Scoop, uh, the game that makes headlines get all three pages right and we will throw in the phone hacking extension pack Okay, (laughs) closest page number wins literally the longest introduction to a media quiz we've ever done here is question number one last week we had the shocking news that the comedian and writer Victoria Wood had passed away at the age of 62, David Cameron called her a national treasure but where did the Daily Telegraph put the story in their next edition Boyd, Boyd, page 11 Rebecca, would you care to counter that? Page eight. Boyd was closer. It was page twenty-five. Wow. <laughs> twenty-five of the Telegraph for Victoria Wood. And I would
3: have she- thought that Victoria
2: Wood was yeah. quite
3: Telegraph. That's so almost what, as Weirdly, bad as- she's kind yeah. of yeah. Oh God. I wrote a little piece for Vice uh, about her just because she was one of my favourites.
4: And I wrote a piece for Heat as well. Yeah. 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 No, she's she was absolutely. A legend, yeah.
3: But it's interesting that she crosses all of those. That it, yes, it didn't feel odd to yeah. have a piece on no. vice explaining why, why she was oh, right, the yeah. kind of. And I, I called her a working class hero because I think that comedy really spoke to. It certainly spoke yeah. to me when I was growing up in that kind of working class sense. And yeah, so it's. But also, I would have thought that she would appeal to Telegraph readers. So it's it's a testament to her how much she crosses the divide.
2: She put a kind of ordinariness on the screen, didn't she? Which. You know, is, is few and far between, actually.
3: This is what I, I said in the piece. It was shops and, you know, cafes, and it was that kind of thing that you don't see as much of anymore, I don't think, on TV. And
2: women talking about sex yeah. in the 80s.
3: In, in a surprisingly risque way, yeah, when yeah. you watch it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Right, here's question number two. The Hillsborough Verdict dominated the front pages on Fleet Street this week. As we've discussed, that didn't include The Sun and The Times. But where did the story sit in the first edition of The Times? Would you care to guess the pagination? Rebecca. Yes, Rebecca.
3: Page two.
2: Page two, says Rebecca Boyd. Uh, No, I think it was like 23. This is complicated maths. I'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell uh, you, told you, right, you what it is so yeah. the, the answer is page 12 oh. uh, so is two closer to 12 so you're 10 away, 23 you're 11 away Yeah.
3: yeah uh, so I Rebecca, Rebecca you win that, that.
2: great, well that's good because that means that the third question is the tie break <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you can tell in a genuinely spontaneous way because this is such a car crash right, here is <laughs> the third question uh, in the last show we spoke about the injunction brought by celebrities PJS and YMA uh, but how many words did Pop Bitch write this week on the important question how on earth does one go about setting up an olive oil paddling pool sex party? <laughs> got to guess the amount of words. What's the word count there? Rebecca. Rebecca, yes.
3: 900.
2: 900? Do we have any more from Boyd? Yeah, I'll say less. You'll say less? Yeah, 600, 700, something like that. Okay, that means definitely that Rebecca is the winner. My math's going to stretch that far because PopBitch did expend 1,350 wow. words. Oh, and I think phenomenal. it lends itself
3: to 1,350 words. I think
4: Vice should do 2,000 words on it <laughs> just to show PopBitch, <laughs> you know, We could
3: do that. Coming we, we'll make a documentary. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Oh,
4: God, I'd love to see
3: that. Yeah. Pref-
2: preferably with some embedded YouTube clips of Victoria Wood singing, <laughs> uh, which means Rebecca is the winner. Yes. Uh, Boyd, thank you very much thank for you. coming. Thank you to Dan Brook as well and Rebecca Nichols that's our show for today if this is your first show Why not subscribe? Uh, Head to themediapodcast.com where there are links for iTunes and Pocket Casts and Stitcher. We are promiscuous across platforms. Subscribing means you never miss an episode, so uh, go and do it now. Thanks also to our legion of recurring donors helping to keep us on the air with a small monthly contribution. Big thanks to Kendra Levine, Andrew Myers, Pete Nottage and Glyn Fullerlove amazing Uh, and also to uh, Kerry Farand for spending big thanks Kerry Uh, script editors MD sound designers camera operators whoever you are join us keep us on the air keep us regular just go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate only takes a minute do it now I've been Ollie Mann the producer Matt Hill the media podcast is a PPM production until next time bye bye